life changed very, very quickly in a, in a, in a, literally in a blink of an eye without any, without any notice or any warning. Um, uh, I had a car accident. And so the, uh, me driving the car, the car flipped. So the, my last breath, I had about three and a half minutes before you have, uh, you can get, um, you know, you get toxicity in your brain. Your brain is deprived of oxygen and that's it. Really, that's it. doesn't really matter about it. Death. Death or really bad brain injury. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the One Path podcast. Joining me on today's show is a friend of mine all the way from Melbourne, Abdullah Hamimi. How are you going, man? Lovely to be here. It's really good to have you here. It's really good to have you here. But before we get straight into the conversation, I just want to give a reminder to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for notifications. Thank you. We will really appreciate that. Sorry, I, I have to do that because it really works. Alhamdulillah. I love it. I know everyone does it. For those that don't know Abdullah, he is an outreach specialist for IERA. Am I correct? IERA Australia. IERA. Yeah. Everyone knows IERA, the, the, the big organization, mashallah, Dawa organization doing amazing work on the ground across the world. Um, also someone who's heavily active in the Muslim community. And he's also a TEDx speaker with an amazing story. I've watched this TEDx talk and many others in the community have as well. But for those that haven't, Abdullah has an amazing story. And if you don't mind, take us back to where it all started. Sorry for throwing you. You're good, you're good, alhamdulillah. Uh, you know, it's, it all started, uh, really, actually started before that. But um, the context is in 12 years ago, something happened right to my life and that changed my perspective on a lot of things. Uh, it was, so prior to that, you know, alhamdulillah, living a pretty cushy life uh, and, you know, um, you know, focusing on my future, focusing on my present. And the present was, you know, working hard at university, also working hard at, um, at work, uh, in the, you know, in the family business. And life changed very, very quickly in a, in a, in a, literally in a blink of an eye without any, without any notice or any warning. Um, uh, I had a car accident, you know, driving back from home from, from work to, I'm sorry, from work to home. And this is something that I would do. Like I still take that route mm. and that I, it's something that I do four or five times a day. Routine. Yeah. So really, really, really common. Nevertheless, there was a particular part of the road that was actually identified as a black spot program sort of thing where the government had identified there's too many car accidents happening here. We need to do something about it. Anyway, turns out they did something about it after my accident. But oh, no. alhamdulillah, <laughs> um, there's a roundabout there now. Nevertheless, uh, I there was a, it was a sort of a sharpish turn that supposedly I didn't take, and I, I went into a tree. And so the, uh, me driving the car, the car flipped, um, and I instantly, uh, you know, smashed into uh, my my airbag didn't open up. I instantly oh, no. smashed into the the. Uh, the steering wheel broke my ribs, hit my head, and at the same time, I had what was called a traumatic spinal cord injury. Yeah. Allah. So, uh, basically, you know, your spine about seven vertebrae down after your neck. Um, uh, it was called a burst burst fracture, and what a burst fracture is, it's literally that your vertebra has literally imploded with into itself. Um, and in doing that, what that means is that that's part of your body is literally that highway that connects from your brain to, to everywhere else. All the nerves go through that. So you can imagine if there's a roadblock, people, there's, you know, people can't get through the exits. 
Yeah, so those nerves that go to different parts of your body, they're not getting those messages. So what that means is you become paralyzed, right? And anyway, Khair, um, I was uh, I was instantly uh, knocked out, and I had I had about three three and a half minutes before my lungs were going to be filled with blood, and I could not take take another breath. So the, my last breath, I had about three and a half minutes before you have uh, you can get um, you know you get toxicity in your brain. Your brain is deprived of oxygen, and that's it. Really, that's it. Doesn't really matter death, about it. Death, death, or really bad brain injury, right? Um, so I, uh, alhamdulillah, the paramedics came right at the time I was I was uh, I was literally blue and purple. Um, you know, and we can imagine holding your breath, yeah, and there's nothing you can do, and your you know your your ha- your your life is in the in the hands of God at all times, but at this time it's most self-evident than ever, and. They, alhamdulillah, they came. Uh, they drained my lungs. Uh, within time, I took a gasping breath. You can imagine. Imagine you're, you're, uh, you know, you're drowning in a pool, and you have to hold your, hold your, hold your breath. Yeah. And then that first breath that you take is like, oh, you know, it's like it's like a massive. Uh, you almost, you literally revived. And I got airlifted to one of the main tra- uh, trauma centers there in Melbourne uh, at the Alfred. They did the surgery on my back. More of it as an inconsequential thing, you know. I'm in a coma at the time, and uh, the discussion is not necessarily, you know, is this guy paralyzed more, a bit more? Is this guy going to make it through? Is he going to stay? Is yeah. So I had a, I had a bit of a, I had a, what was called a subdural hematoma, which is you get a little bit of a bleed under your, under uh, between uh, the lining of your brain and the brain, and that can put pressure on your on your brain, and it's something that you don't really know that what the outcome would be until you come out of it. So obviously, me being unconscious for a long time, they did the they did the emergency spinal um, uh, surgery, which was essentially they'll fix. I've got a um, titanium rods and a, a, a going down my spine, as well as um, bolts uh, from the third thoracic spine all the way to the tenth thoracic spine. So that gives me a good posture because it literally, uh, <laughs> I hope so. Um, it literally has I have metal in my back um, holding me uh, holding me up. And so that's just there to keep your your spine stable, or, or, you know, the, uh, and allow your um, allow the rest of the broken bits to to heal. And the bone, the bone heals, but the nerves themselves they can't. Their scar tissue create uh, gets forms, and with that scar tissue, they can't really do anything about it. So what that creates is um, long term, well, that essentially what's permanent paralysis. So what I do is I use a uh, I use a wheelchair to get around. I can't walk, so my yeah. legs, my legs and my lower limbs are, are paralyzed as a result. Um, and I was in a coma for two weeks, um, and I got out of the coma. And after that, I had to, I had to understand what the impact was. Mm-hmm. And it's not like any, like you, know, you break your leg, you break your, your your arm, and it gets better. Or you go through a period of time where you know you know you reflect and things get better and move on. Yeah, and life just gets back on back on. But I had to. I had to learn what that impact was for me. You so know, life changing, complete life changing from here on in. You couldn't imagine it, right? Um, and for me, this was probably the first experience of disability um, uh, as well. And although my sort of, uh, I was a little bit, I'm a little bit, um, I was chill in the sense that I, despite, because what I was studying at the time was physiotherapy. Mm. So we did a lot of anatomy and physiology. And in fact, like, it's physiotherapy is really rehabilitation based. So I'm like the, the case study. <laughs> so I went back to university, and in going back into university and going back into that context, you know, I'm around medical professional professionals, even in the workplace, 
And so it was really supportive. I never really felt, um, uh, I never really felt, you know, judged or, you know, felt inferior or anything like that. I just wanted to get back into, um, you know, back into life. Can I, can I just take you back to that moment mm. before we move on? You've woken up from a coma after two weeks. Yeah. The doctor comes in and breaks the news to you. What's running through your head? So what, ha- what happened is, you know, so they, they take you out very slowly, yeah? And in doing that, um, part of the anesthesia they give you, um, uh, well, at least what I was told, was that um, uh, it, it can wipe out your short-term memory. So I have, because of that, and maybe it could have been a defense mechanism of my own, of my own uh, uh, you know, way of uh, managing things, I have no post-traumatic stress in the sense that I can't remember what happened. I feel like... The entire incident. I don't know. Any, I can't remember anything. The last thing I so remember... So all this is from what you've heard. Yeah, yeah. So if anything, I could have just been born again kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I'm now in this body. I'm in this body that sort of resembles what I was before, but is a little bit more broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you're coming out, uh, you know, you, the first thing you see is like these surgery lights beaming down to you. And... Uh, you know, you slowly like you literally, you know how it, it's like, it is like in the movies. In the movie, yeah. <laughs> You're blinking and, uh, you know, uh, they bring in, they brought me in my father and he's like, you know, it's quite comforting and, and reassuring. Everything's okay. And I'm sort of, okay, where am I? Why am I here? People are looking down upon me. I didn't have a diagnosis from the, the like the first thing you saw was not the doctor. The first thing I saw was my family. And I put the pieces of the puzzle together pretty quickly. You know, my dad asked me, and my dad's a he's a medical doctor mm. as well, um, and you know he was he's the he's the he's the boss at the medical center that we work yeah. at. So um, uh, he asked me, oh, "Can you and can you move your legs?" And I was like, "That's a weird question to ask me." Um, and I tried, like, and obviously I felt like I could in the sense, like my head, yeah, in my head it was a, in your in your brain, like in your mind, yeah. yeah. The message is being sent, but it's not registering down at at the legs and I said no and that sort of hit me a little bit when I did when I realized that because okay I sort of figure what happened here now um and I saw the nurses I heard it a little bit a little bit in the background and I could I interpreted it more or less right and then of course it was confirmed later on uh but you I did, I, did, I did make one comment you know my uncle came up to me and my I was very close with my I am very close with my uncle um and he was you know, in fact, I was sleeping over his house the night before, uh, and he asked. He he mentioned something to me. I, mean, I can't remember the exact words, but I responded to him. You know, what about your quality of life? What about my quality of life? You know, what's you that, gonna, that question? I, 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 I make that. I made that comment. He said something in that context, and I I, I commented that. You know, but what about my quality of life? Uh, and I'm coming out of anesthesia, so I'm not even. I'm, I'm not even sure why I'm. Oh, I've even talking coherently. Yeah. But anyway, these these words are coming out, and uh, I was so I was questioning what is what's actually what's going to be the impact? How is this actually going to impact me? Like you know, my view of disability, obviously not experiencing any anything was was different. I had this view that you know um, if you are you know uh, if you've got paralysis or disability, you know it's going to be very poor quality of life. You're going to be in a home, yeah. You're going to be stuck and ostracized from society. And this is just going to be socially debilitating, range of health problems. You're going to be looked down upon. You're not going to have any opportunities. 
you know, I'm 18 at the time. Just I'm literally, I'm turning, I turned 19 on the day that they took my breathing tube out. Um, I remember that day, the first day I had, I had, had my mum brought me this cake. It was the first thing that I ate for like three weeks yeah. because when they have the what's called a tracheostomy, you have a, a tube going through your neck. I still have the, the scar here. Um, because the machine literally breathes for you. So it allows your lungs to heal. Um, and my ribs were broken anyway. So, uh, and I, I, that was the first thing that I tasted. And so here I'm, I'm 18 years old. I'm thinking, you know, career, marriage, um, life. The prime of your life. Yeah, the exactly. The point of your life, straight out of high school onto university, ready to move forward. Just, you know, put yourself in those shoes. You're, you've got, you're thinking about all these big things and you're ambitious. And suddenly it's like, Wait, okay, you've got to stop now. Stop. You have other things to worry about. And while while so you know, while everyone else is doing all that sort of stuff, here I am stuck in a hospital, yeah? And I was in hospital from uh the it happened on the eleventh of July two thousand and eight. And I got out of so I was in I was in ICU back and forth for a little bit, uh, and I did rehab and I got out in December close to around Christmas ish time, December that year. So best part of six months um, and in that six month period I'm learning how to live like how to take care of myself from scratch this is like I'm in a um, I'm in a new body yeah and I've got to uh, I've got to figure out just from the most basic things to you know putting your clothes on and having a shower and going to the bathroom all the way to you know traveling and, and doing all that sort of stuff and um, a big shout out to you know the the spinal ward at the Austin Hospital here in Melbourne and and the Royal Talbot Rehabilitation Centre. Um, it's diff- it was a really difficult process, but a very supportive, a very very supportive group of people there that um, I can't thank any. I can't thank more. They transformed and helped me in ways that I can only appreciate now. But when you're in that position, there's so many things going through your mind, and it's one thing to live that experience. But it's another thing for a parent to watch it and endure it. You know, imagine seeing your son, your older son, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Especially now in our communities, it's a it's a special status that's given, and you have all these dreams and and thing and whatnot, and it, they're just wiped out. It wasn't, you know, it's it's if I could even say this, it's like one thing to to uh, to come out alive, but it's another thing to um or come out alive or come out dead, I guess. Uh, but it's another thing to now live with the scars, the mental scars and the physical scars. And so, um, you know, my father had to take off. I was with him, you know, uh, I was a practice manager at the time uh, and I was with him for every single day. We were working, working, working very, very hard because um, he, just, he just set up this new medical center and he couldn't go back to work. He couldn't go back to work for months because he would go there in the place he'd remember I'm sitting at the front, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. He'd talking to me and it was just mentally debilitating. He couldn't take that. Him, especially as a parent, I could only yeah. imagine a parent's greatest concern is their child. And the entire time for a parent, they're like, I have to do whatever I can mm-hmm. to make sure my child is as successful as is as successful he could possibly be. And then something like this hits and it's like, hang on, I'm no longer in control. I could just imagine how hard it would be on your parents, subhanAllah. I think, I think really, and I look back at it, it's, if I, if I could say this from my perspective, it's, yeah, I think my parents, it probably hit my parents more than it hit me, despite the fact that I have to live with the consequences. Um, 
But anyway, that was that was that was the thinking at the time. Yeah. And of course, um, uh, that my experience coming out of that, what I noticed was there was particularly when there was this type of disability of paralysis. There's this there's this dream that everyone holds um, of I want to walk again, right? I want to walk again, and it's just I think people get really obsessed by that. Um, and for some reason, I wasn't so not that I wasn't interested. Of course, that would be nice, but um, I was more focused around. I need to get my life back on track. Like, I don't have time. I need to get back to what I want to do and where I want to be. Yeah, and mm. that's with mm. you know work, leisure, social, community, and so my focus was that I didn't I didn't like you know for example I, they gave me uh, you know I was recommended to do social things here and there like you know we play disabled sports and all that sort of stuff and a part of me found that really uncomfortable because I wanted to be around everyone else. You didn't want to feel special, no, so to speak. Yeah. Absolutely not. I didn't want to. Mm. I don't want that special status, except for the disabled, disabled parking. Like I'm yeah. cool. <laughs> I'll take that, <laughs> which is actually really helpful. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I didn't want to. And so I went in there and I was like, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't feel comfortable in that space. You wanted that normalcy, would you say? Hundred percent. One right. like hundred yeah. percent. I wanted that normalcy, and, I, and to my surprise, it wasn't so difficult to discover. Like, especially, um, you know, I, I came into, I came back into the Muslim community, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and I found myself really embraced. And I found myself, you know, okay, you talk about, you know, massage not being accessible yeah. and this and that. We can talk about the negatives. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can. And, and you know, I, ha I did go through my fair, share. my fair share of, you know, being hoisted up, <laughs> you know, sets of stairs and whatnot. And, and I don't know, alhamdulillah, go through that, no, no accidents. But um, on the whole, on the whole, it's been a, a really positive experience. And it's, if anything, um, it's definitely been an iman builder. I mean, we don't say that about the Muslim community, do we? Mm -hmm. You know, um, but the brothers, uh, the brothers, the sisters, the, uh, the mentors, uh, there's people in there that I, I could, you know, I could, just their presence alone, their presence alone has been, uh, has been so positive. It's, it's not necessarily the things that they've done or the things that they've said, but the fact that they're there has just been um, uh, uh, life-changing, and, and that's been everywhere. Even even in not a, not just in the you know Muslim circles, but in other places. And the view of disability now is something that's embraced and entered, uh, and something that's um, accommodated for, accommodated and celebrated. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. So um, you know, I'd you, know, you get some funny stuff like you know people coming and just you know patting you on the shoulder and telling you how it's so cool that you're doing normal things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so You don't want that stuff, right? Um, oh, no. And you know, one thing I do like is, you know, I love it when somebody comes up to my car and tells me that I shouldn't be parked in a disabled permit zone because, you know, I mean, I look normal. Yeah. <laughs> that's happened so often and, and, and it's, it's, it's always a good laugh when it does happen. Um, I guess that, that's what comes back to, I guess, the... Um, the emphasis that the Prophet ﷺ placed on, on looking out for your brothers, especially in times of sickness. Mm. Uh, so I guess we can tie it back to that. You know, the emphasis of Islamic values on looking after the sick, looking after the disabled. And of course, there will be times when the Muslims will fall short. And of course, I'm sure you're, you're well aware of that. But then again, uh, you know, for this value to be emphasized is a great thing that we would love to see um, gain traction in the Muslim community. But I also want to ask you one question. Was there ever a time when you were in the hospital? I guess you were there for like 
quite some time, many months. Was there ever a time when you're, I guess, laying down in that hospital bed and thinking, why me? You know, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do this to me? I hope you're enjoying the discussion so far. If you haven't subscribed already to our YouTube channel, please do so by clicking subscribe and hitting the bell. Also, if you are enjoying this podcast, please consider heading over to our website at onepathnetwork.com and contributing whatever you can. Any donation will be greatly appreciated. Let's continue. I had a, I had a really, I'm not sure if this is a common experience, but um, my friends and family uh, didn't let that happen. Um, so literally that six months I had, of course, my parents every single day, uh, either my mom or my dad was there with me. There was, I don't think I could remember a time when I didn't have a companion or a visitor uh, with me. I was never alone in this experience. And because, because of that, and then you also, my, my thinking and mentality around the time wasn't one to, in the beginning at the very least, at least in the beginning, it wasn't one to dwell, to think that, okay, I didn't ask these questions in the beginning. Um, but when things settled, yeah, I did ask these questions. Um, and first time around was, I just need to, I need to take care of what's happening. Like I'm still alive and I have this and I need to do something about it. Mm. Um, and you know, the way that the, the way the rehabilitation process was, was that they would give you a taste of the outside world. Yeah. So you would be, you'd let it get a day pass to get out of hospital. And so suddenly you got out of this bubble and it's just like, oh, well, everything is how you thought it was, but I'm different now. Mm. So, you know, suddenly I've got to think about wheelchair accessibility. I've got to think about ramps. I've got to think about this. I can't, can I do this? I cannot do, I've got like, uh, it's not just, you just walk in, rock up to somewhere and everything's cool. I've got all these things to think about and manage. And then at the same time, I'm in this place where, of course, you're going to be self-conscious, right? Um, uh, you know, you're 18, 19 anyway. There's probably other in- insecurities that you have. And yeah. suddenly now you're in a, you're in a wheelchair. Uh, are people going to be looking at me differently and all that? Yeah. yeah well, yeah. And then of course, and yeah, 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 yeah. Mainly that, mainly that. And, um, uh, you know, you know, are people going to look down upon me? Am I going to be, am I going to be seen a particular way? I'm going to be, you know, put in a particular place. And, um, so you have all these, you have all these natural inbuilt insecurities anyway, and it gets amplified. And so anyway, you get a taste of the outside world and, and in getting that taste of the outside world, you know, slowly, slowly like accommodates and normalizes things for you. But you get to see how, what the world is going to be, how your experience is going to be. And then you're finally sort of like weaning you out. Yeah. You get one day, then you get a couple of days, then you get a week, mm-hmm. and then you get freedom. Um, and uh, so, for me, in the beginning, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ask these questions. I had psychologists, psychiatrists, you know, as part of the rehabilitation process, and uh, they're coming and ha- having a chat with you to ensure your, you know, mental health is in the in the right place because you know different people manage it differently. Definitely. But for me, I didn't, I didn't. Um, for me, these questions really came out when the dust settled. When the dust settled and my health stabilized and I got to really think, I got to really appreciate the impact. It wasn't, you're not in the, you're not in the storm anymore, right? Okay, I got through this. Now what? And I got back in, you know, one of my goals was I need to go back into university and back into where, you know, it's just, the goal was like try and get back to where you're at. So I went back into back into uni, back into my physio course, and I got up into my finished my second year there at Monash, and 
I would spend time in the library. Um, uh, you know, I would spend time in the library. And of course, you know, it was different. The social context was just different now. Uh, my friendship groups were different. You know, uh, the, U the uni is the way that Monash is over there for that campus is close to the beach. Yeah. People would go to the beach. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I didn't really go to the beach much. But anyway, hey, um, I didn't. I would just say to myself and I would spend time in the library and there'd be a little corner in the library. I had my laptop and my books and, uh, you know, I'm there to study. But of course, my mind is wandering. I'm thinking about a lot of things. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm asking those questions in terms of oh, why did this happen? You know, when is this going to finish? Is this, is this just a dream? <laughs> yeah. When am I going to wake up? Mm -hmm. And when I'm going to wake up and everything's fine. Um, well, why did this happen? Things like that. And I, I do remember there was times and I have never, I've never told anyone about this. I've kept it to myself. In fact, I tried to, you know, I, I never wanted to um, express these, you know, or reveal uh, these mental health challenges with my, with my parents because I knew they already, they already taken a big hit. Like last thing I want them to think is, you know, this has affected me in that, on, that, on that level. And so I shielded a lot of people from that. Um, and maybe that was a, and that made me, you know, there was, it's just pent up. And I would, I would spend time in the library and I would cry to myself. I would cry to myself. I remember I, I had a, I had a, and uh, I had a little, I had a notebook and it was one of my uni books that I would take notes, lecture notes, and of, uh, I would just write stuff. I would write stuff, whatever was in my mind. I wasn't one to take a diary, but this was a time where I was sort of writing a diary. It's therapeutic, I guess. It's in, informally, yeah. And I would just write stuff and I would, think, I would just sit there and I would just quietly cry to myself. And then, and then of course, switch back and go back to class. <laughs> um, and thinking back at it, thinking back, um, yeah, that was definitely therapeutic. Um, but these are, you know, uh, again, we've got to, we, this is the, the context here is, is and I'm just getting into some of the, you know, academic intellectual, uh, uh, you know, Islamic thinking, I guess, uh, at the time. And, you know, in the early 2010s, in that era, this is a big push of new atheism, in fact, right? Um, guys, Hawkins, uh, Hawkins, I'm sorry, Dawkins, Hitchens, and uh, so Dennett nice. and Harris. This is their prime. Yeah, they're giving lectures at Oxford Uni. Their YouTube is blowing up. Um, books are going out. They're making it mainstream. And, you know, I encountered uh, an explanation from that, from that side. Um, and, it, you know, I engaged with it. And, you know, the explanation more or less is, is that, um, you know, Daw Richard Dawkins has, you know, he writes a lot about this. Yeah. Um, and in the, in the field of philosophy of religion, this is a, this is a very, um, it's a pertinent question. And Islamic scholars, Christian scholars, atheist scholars, they will try to engage with this. Yeah. All right, cool. God exists. Yeah. But then why? If this God is supposedly all-powerful, all-knowing, yeah, he's all-able to do things. And as Hitchens uh, famously says, okay, why bone cancer in little children? Very emotively. Yeah. And when, you know, why, why this or why that, you know? And I could easily just transform, uh, apply that question to myself. Why did this, you know, average guy, what did, what did he do? Yeah, what did he do? If, uh, and, um, you know, why did you do this to him? Yeah, why are you doing this to him? Yeah, and, and so why, why, why? And nevertheless, uh, you know, 
is that it's, it's wrapped with emotion. And it's difficult to answer the question when it's wrapped with emotion. But when you sort of take the emotion out and you think about it rationally and logically, um, I found that the, the Islam, the Islamic tradition, has got a really um, deep, deep and deeply layered answer to this in ways that other traditions don't. And I say this is because often when atheists uh, engage with this question and they caricature it, often they're responding to a Christian God and a Christian understanding of God. And the Christian understanding of God fits that caricature that they're responding to. And it's a total straw man to the Islamic tradition, right? So it's a total misrepresentation. Um, why? Because in the Christian God, he's all good. He's only all good. But in the Islamic tradition, we have this, we have this um, you know, Allah SWT has revealed himself in, we have the 99 names. Like it's clear and explicit. Yeah? Um, uh, and those 99 names, of course, we, we know them through the lens of Tawheed. They're when lens of oneness. So they're not abstract and independent of each other. And when we look at that, we can understand this further. So, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all-wise, yeah? And so, okay, if there's wisdom, so he's all good, yeah? He's good, he's powerful, he's able, and so, and he's all-wise. So, if the, the, the conundrum or the question here is, is that, you know, why does he allow, why does he permit evil? And when we, when we look at this, well, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able, well, then why doesn't he stop it? Yeah? Because, well, if he's able, he should stop it. The so, problem of evil. The problem of evil, more or less. That's what it is. So if, he, if, he, if he's got the ability to stop it, then why doesn't he stop it? So maybe he doesn't have the ability, right? And if he's all merciful, well, then he should have more compassion. So, he doesn't, so there's, 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 there's issues here. And the Islamic tradition has got, has got answers to each one of these. Now, on an intellectual level, it's one thing to know that. But for, and from experiencing it, it adds a level of a complexity that it's hard to reconcile. And that's why I say that it took me a while to, um, like, I had to have stability in my life to then appreciate the answer. Because the, when you're in the storm, there's so much emotion and you can't, uh, and I think this is the issue we have is when, when we're responding to people's challenges and difficulties, we lack the compassion and the lack the appreciation of their experience. And so you can't, you can't engage with this question if you don't have that. And it becomes really like, it's almost borderline offensive mm. that um, you don't appreciate what I've gone through. You don't know what I've gone through. And so in not knowing how got, what I've gone through, you don't have no idea what you're talking about. But anyway, let's, uh, I, was, I had the benefit of hindsight, if I could say. Um, and so back to the problem of evil. Yeah? And so God in our, in our tradition is all, is all powerful and he's all wise. So he has the ability. He has the, the question is not, does he have the ability or not? Is that... Why does he choose for something to happen in that way? Well, if he's the all-wise, then there's wisdom. And if there's wisdom, there's a reason. So the question here is, is what is that reason? And I think what happens is when we go through challenges and difficulties, we, we put ourselves at the center of the universe. Yeah? We put ourselves in the middle yeah? uh, in, the, in the way. And we say that if I was God, why did I let this happen? Mm. kind of thing which is you know uh what you can what is termed amphropomorphizing god mm. right so uh and that's of course a bad thing to do in our tradition right we don't do that um so the point here is is that there's different ways of looking at things 
and different ways of understanding things. So in the moment, I could not comprehend because I'm going through that experience. It's just so, it's, there's so much happening on a mental, social, physical, um, biological thing that's just like, it's confusing. But when things, when the dust settled, I could have this intellectual uh, engagement with this, with this topic better. And in doing that, I was able to appreciate the answer. And so the question was, what was that wisdom? If you talk to me 12 years after the fact, which is today, 12 years, I could appreciate the wisdom in so many ways, right? In fact, I would appreciate the wisdom so much so that if I ever had, if I had to rewrite my life, if I was, if, if God gave you the, a book in the beginning, he's like, he's like, and he said, you're going to be born and just choose how you want to live your life. Write down what you want and I'll do it for you. And I say this really, I say this genuinely and sincerely. I wouldn't have it any other way because what this has opened up to me is opportunities, relationships, um, uh, realizations that could not have happened if, if I didn't go through those experiences. I can imagine that if I didn't, if, if, you know, if this didn't happen, what kind of person I would have been, what kind of things I could have fallen into um, uh, and you know, the people that I wouldn't have uh, come across, the experience and the opportunities that, that I would have missed. And so, and, the, and you know, the Muslim community has been, um, uh, I can barely describe it. It's just been, it's just like I, I could, it's, I can, that feeling where they've, um, you know, Alhamdulillah was, I was, had the, uh, had the honor um, to, you know, uh, support the construction of a, of a masjid, um, you know, transform and, and provide resources and, and, uh, and services to the Muslim community in the Southeast in Melbourne. I was involved, I'm involved in um, uh, uh, sharing the message of Islam um, intellectually uh, and, and passing on, um, uh, you know, uh, motivating, equipping, educating young Muslims. You know, Alhamdulillah, I have, a, I have a, I'm married and have a, have a, a son as well. Um, like life is normal. Alhamdulillah. Life is normal. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. life is so normal. Um, and here I am in Sydney. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like you can just, I guess, come to appreciate the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like I heard one sheikh, he said it once, he goes, you see the pixel. Yes, yes. Allah sees the whole picture. Mm -hmm. You know, with our limited understanding, as human beings, we need to acknowledge and understand that we do have a limited intellect. We do have a limited understanding of the world and how it operates. So when we see the pixel, we are oblivious that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has got this whole picture going on beyond our eyesight and we only it only takes the entire experience for us to appreciate that subhanallah and and i want to ask a, a question now you've went through this and you've obviously had a lot of challenges a lot of hardships it's, it's taught you a lot when it comes to the word contentment or happiness do you believe this experience has taught you what it means to be a content person I'm not sure if I could, if I would say contentment for me is uh, necessarily like a destination yeah, and something that you can arrive to. Mm. It's, I think it's something that uh, the human nature is just such that we always want some more. Yeah. Mm. Some, something can be a little bit better. Yeah. I can have a little bit more of this, a uh, little bit of this. Yeah. And I can be a little bit more of this. Never please. And so you're never pleased. And uh, that uh, the ego always wants more. Um, so even when, you know, things are normal, Things could always be better, right? Um, and 
uh, it's just part of the, I think it's just part of the human nature that we we can easily and naturally revert back into that that back into that thinking. And when I think about it, um, for me, particularly in this experience, is that it's given me an appreciation of like if if life would just stay the same like this, alhamdulillah, I'm so content. Like if nothing, like I mean, the nature of life is that it's always changing. Things happened for the, uh, in so many different ways that if I can appreciate the moment and I could just pause, I could mm. press the pause button and mm. just soak it in. Like um, there's many times, there's many times where I've had that feeling. And in fact, I've had that feeling uh, when in the Muslim community, some of the things that we've, we've be, we've, I've, been, I've been able to be a part of um, has definitely made me feel that I want to put that pause button and just feel like, let's just keep it here. <laughs> let's just keep it here. Um, and uh, that's just been so rewarding um, on so on so many levels. On so many oh, levels. I guess it just depends. Like whatever situation, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, it's about extracting the most benefit, finding out exactly what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala wants from you in that moment. You know, like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says that hadith that we're all, we're all familiar with. You know, عَجَبًا لِأَمْرِ mu'min. You know, strange mm. and amazing is the affair of a believer. If goodness comes, he's thankful, he's rewarded. If hardship comes, he's patient and he's also rewarded. It's just making the most out of whatever situation you find yourself in. But at the end of the day, it takes someone to live through that experience to know what it's exactly like. Because everyone can talk, everyone can quote a hadith and quote verses about patience and the reward for patience. But not until you go through that experience, do you truly realize the significance of being someone who is connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah. Actually, on that point, on that point, what it reminds me is that, um, is that uh, so I've had so many people come up to me and, and it's it, it been the masjid as well yeah. or in, the, in, this, in other random places. So like whether it's at the gym, you know, um, or in the shopping center and, you know, someone might be going through their personal difficulties. Yeah. And of course, you know, they look at, they might look at me, you know, a young guy in a wheelchair, using a wheelchair and they're probably thinking, Hey, you know, you know, I wonder what he goes through this, that it must be so difficult for him and this, and that really, alhamdulillah, my life is fine. Yeah. I'm so happy. Right? You do, you do I mean, come but, across definitely as but, a, yeah. People come up to you and be like, you know, I'm really like, you know, I know things are, things are tough, but it's really inspiring that you're here. <laughs> I've come to the masjid where, you know, I remember, um, uh, you know, you know, we were, we were in New Zealand at the time and, you know, somebody comes up to you and, you know, really just like, alhamdulillah, mashallah, you know, you've made it to the masjid, you know, this is really inspiring. And, and obviously went on, he went on a rant about how people, uh, you know, totally able and they can't breathe. <laughs> but anyway, I was just like, bro. Uh, Okay. <laughs> okay. What? I didn't know how to respond. I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to respond to that. Yeah. Um, it's it's in fact it's quite awkward because I don't see myself in that way. I'm like, you know what? The responsibilities are the obligations that everyone else have has. Um I, I feel like I do too. I mean, uh, you know, we did alhamdulillah had the uh the opportunity to do Hajj in um, 2011 and the group that I went, uh, subhanAllah, look back. It was a miracle. The obligation is not upon me yeah. uh, because of my circumstances, but by some miracle, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enabled it. And uh, the group and the brothers that I went through with, um, like they literally carried me in, at times, literally carried me Allah at Allah times. 
Um, and I remember when we when we did our first, or we did you know the many times we did tawaf, you know, um, uh, and you know, people would people would be on my back like holding my chair, and like uh, I had many many times where I was like, well, I could just do this myself. <laughs> but mm-hmm. people would want to, um, and and I'd have um, you know you'd get. Obviously, one of the perks is that you'd get first preference in a lot of places, yeah. yeah? Especially at the Prophet's mosque. <laughs> so you know, they'd hoist someone out, and they'd be like, you know, here, you can have this spot. So um, it has it has its blessings, and I've had, and so that's why I say in the in the community, I've been um, I've never felt uh, I haven't I haven't felt frustrated uh, about like uh, in that respect uh, about my situation and not being able to be partake in things. I found that um. Uh, on the positive side of things, um, people are. I think the awareness of disability has risen to a, is rising and has 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 become acceptable. And this conversation is not taboo. It's not just like, hey, you're a niche, you know, you're just a niche, and like, you know, we've got other bigger things to worry about. You know, like, uh, chill. Why don't you just pray outside? Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. That's, that's exactly right. Because like, even if you look at the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he got one of the muaddin muaddinin of the of the of the masjid. A man who was blind, mm. and he gave him that honor, and he gave him that prestige, and it's just to show you that we shouldn't be people who look down and and or, or we want to give um, a different kind of treatment. You know, mashallah, you're you're doing amazing right now, and you know you're active in the community, you're working in the dawah, you're 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 in debates, and and you're giving public speeches, and you, and you're doing really well, mashallah. And even in the gym, I think you're outperforming a lot of the brothers. <laughs> In, in, with, all, with all honesty, in all honesty, you're outperforming a lot of the brothers in the gym, and that has shown you that you can become an even stronger person. Subhanallah. I found, in fact, that um, uh, was a sort of bit like, and alhamdulillah, obviously with the with the lockdown, we haven't been able to, uh, you know, so probably packed on some some kilos in the yeah. in the meantime. But nevertheless, uh, that space place has been um, a really therapeutic place for me. I found. Um, Fitness uh, has been something where I've just been able to, like, expel a lot of my, um, like, that, I don't know, negative energy, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's given me the opportunity. I, I would go there, and you know, sometimes I'll, uh, it's been like a, a bit of a sacred place in the, in mm. the sense that, like, I would just go there and, like, you know what, I don't feel like doing anything, but I'll just sit there on a machine and be like. Just because I'm here, <laughs> it feels I good. actually saw a video of you. I think if you don't mind, we'll actually play it. Oh, really? You were doing like, I don't know, 20 chin ups. How many chin ups oh, are you doing in your wheelchair? That is, that was good. It looks, it's, it looks a bit more cool than it actually is. I Come think. on, man. Come on. MashaAllah. Anyways, brother Abdullah Hamimi, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. It's been an honor to have our brother here. We've learned a lot about what it's like to go through such an experience. We've learned a lot about how the Islamic narrative or the Islamic discourse is able to help us overcome the problem of evil, problem of suffering, as opposed to something like um, the outlook of Richard Dawkins, who says everything is meaningless, life is meaningless, and complete uh, nihilistic approach towards the situation, which is very depressing. We've seen how Islam empowers you, makes you a stronger person, and enables you and equips you to be the best version of yourself despite the circumstances. Thank you so much for watching the podcast. Thank you so much, Abdullah, once again. Jazakallah khairan. Alhamdulillah. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it very Alhamdulillah. much. Thank you. And just one last reminder to like, subscribe, and um, make sure you hit the bell. Yeah, you got that, Abdullah? Like, subscribe, <laughs> and hit the bell icon. Thank That's what you. Yeah. Assalamu alaikum, and we'll see you next time. Jazakallah khairan.
If you enjoyed this video along with all the other content that OnePath Network produces, please support us so we can create more beneficial content for the world. Go to onepathnetwork.com and you can support us from as little as $1 a day. Jazakumullah khair for your support.